Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. It wasn't that frequent, you know, like from lesson to lesson. But we were asked to provide a, a, a comment on the films we have watched. There was no uh, real limit uh, on the choice of films. But we had to provide some intelligent interpretation of our perception of that movie. And it wasn't to run the plot, you know, from A to Z. It was to make our comments on the, um, on what the movie was really trying to convey. And it was very educational, you know, reading and hearing other people's comments on, on the same film often. And it was, uh, uh, it was basically designed to make us analyze the, what we watch and uh, to check if we are uh, aware of what we are deriving from the movie, to think about it. Highly, highly instructional, really. And uh, I used to... Read. You know what the word felieton means? Again? You do? Again? Could you say it again? Felieton. Felieton? Felieton. It's a Polish word, and I'm just trying to see if there's a root connection with French. Is it French? Is it F? It's spelled F E U I L L E T O N? F E. L E T O N Pelieton. Okay, I don't know. It could no, be. No, uh, doesn't have the French word because I I cannot find in my head immediate translation of that into into. It's it's not a quite a commentary. It's a commentary with your own angle. Yeah. Okay. And I used to. Read uh, very often a good uh, movie critics writing these, and then construct my own. And you know, just by reading, I learned how much I could have derived from the movie without actually deriving it personally. Oh, I see. Yeah. Um, but um, yeah, that was a just very small part of our education, watch the movie and and see what it's really telling you. So I don't think you should get too paranoid about uh, what somebody is going to say by you overanalyzing a movie. Well, on the other hand, what I'm also afraid of is that uh, some TI, because we have some people in here, some TI is going to, uh, has been uh, hearing the things I've said about movies and they've just been yawning and rolling their eyes and saying, Yes, we know all this. You see, you, you think well, we don't. You're not playing for the audience. At least I'm not. Um, it's not, it's, it's not about. Democratic, 
talk show. This is two people talking together. If yes, someone it's not, finds it interesting, they can listen to and perhaps uh, have their own uh, thoughts arising. Uh, it's not about whether... Provoke their own thinking. Yeah, but, okay, whatever. Um, okay. You agree? Well, it's not about it's not about playing to an audience. There is no audience here. There's one other person other than you and me, and they're they're not making themselves known. But yeah, um, you mentioned boredom. I mentioned boredom. Didn't you say we are boring people by? No, no. What all I'm saying is, I want to get a bit. Um, I feel a bit defensive about, you know, sort of going out on a limb, as it were, and and finding all the significances in these movies. And on the one hand, I, I worry that people are going to think it's, it's, that my readings are very fanciful uh, and idiosyncratic and um, the result of an overactive imagination, which, which is all to say, well, yes, he's delusional. He, uh, you know, I'm worried that it can be used to discredit me and at yeah. the same time, and at the same time, because I know that there are uh, uh, more educated minds uh, performing the same interpretations on cinema right. and in literature, I'm also worried that someone. Uh, well, we have one person in here other than us, but whatever. Oh, I'm worried. That, I'm worried that someone may say the opposite. Someone may say, you know, this guy goes on and on, uh, blowing hot air. His his interpretations of movies, which we all, which are obvious, and he thinks he's being deep reading these things into the movies, but they're 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 oh, just. I I think Anthony, you're looking over your shoulder too much. You do what you think is correct, and you are expressing your take on certain aspects of the movie, and you have uh, been very perceptive, I think, overall. I have a perfect example with that you've got mail illustration, what I missed. <laughs> so don't worry about it. There's no point worrying your head over everything. Well, Live a bit, be flamboyant. <laughs> and they will say, oh, this guy has got big imagination. I say, mm-hmm. oh, you have big imagination? You shouldn't worry about it. You create it. Not delusional. Uh, um, but on that point, you know, I, I um, have you watched? Have you ever seen the movie Elizabeth? No. Is it Elizabeth R or just Elizabeth? Um, it's that movie with Kate Blanchett that came out a bit more than ten years ago, um, maybe fifteen years ago. She plays. Was it a historical queen? Yeah, she plays Queen Elizabeth. And, uh, oh, I haven't seen it. Well, it's when they uh, start on the news and uh, in the uh, media analyzing a movie like that, it came with such a big bang in England. Oh. I get resistant to following the trend. This is yes. one of my faults. Immense fault, really, because somebody is saying to me, say, a week later, a few days later, hey, you've got to go to cinema and see and so-and-so movie, and uh, all the reviews are 
everywhere of that movie. Everybody is talking about it. What I do, I put my head into my shell and I say, I'm not a follower of trends. Mm. Well, anyway. It's on me. Well, um, anyway, anyhow, and I'm a bit like, I've become a bit like that, actually, just uh, wary of uh, things that are very popular. But uh, anyway, um, uh, I watched this movie with um, at a friend's house. Mm-hmm. And um, we were we were all watching. I think I don't know. I, I don't remember how many of us there were around the television. And there's this um, moment in the movie where uh, an important character is introduced for the first time. The character is Walsingham. It's played by Jeffrey Rush. The same Jeffrey Rush we mentioned uh, a couple of calls ago in the context of the Pirates of the Caribbean. Mm-hmm. He, uh, anyway, he played the role of Walsingham. Walsingham, I think, was like uh, head of the the Queen's uh, secret police, essentially. Walsingham or Walsingham? Walsingham. Mm-hmm. And when we're introduced to him, the camera switches, you know, cuts to the scene. It's uh, late morning or something like that. Um, it's his bedroom uh, in some, maybe it's some place in Italy. I can't remember. It's very sunny. Anyway, that's not that's not important. Um, and there are w- windows, and we're looking into the bedroom from outside the windows, but we're very close. We can, you know, it's, it's almost mm-hmm. like we're on the windowsill. And um, oh, I'm, I don't want to make this long. I'm going to make it short. Um, it's his bedroom, and there's this other guy, this this young boy, in uh, in his bedroom also. It must be I don't know, 19 or something like that. And Walsingham is you know something like uh, 40, and. Um, The, um, nothing is said between them. Mm-hmm. Really. Uh, as, as I don't remember it well, but there is a look that goes between them and there's a certain kind of energy in their bodies or in their the way the, the movie is cut. The, you know, the, 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 there's something... I detected something there. And in fact, uh, I, I uh, immediately... Uh, understood the scene to mean that uh, they they're having some kind of affair, huh. uh, waltzing him with this young boy. And in what I said was immediately, well, in the middle of the movie, I said the character is homosexual. That this is a homosexual liaison. They've just had sex uh, because there's a bed there, and you, I, I could tell, I could tell. And my friends turned to me, and they were very surprised, and they were not—they were reluctant to to believe it, because you know the movie doesn't say I'm yeah. homosexual, you're homosexual, we've just had sex. Uh, in fact, what happens is within about a minute, Walsingham, uh, the the boy tries to kill Walsingham. Oh. And Walsingham um, 
uh, being, uh, you know, head of secret police, he knew how to deflect the blow, and he ended up, um, um, he ended up tricking the boy and killing him uh, instead. Huh. So we have we have here a bit of a, a stereotype: the ruthless homosexual psychopathic, the, the homosexual psychopath. This is a bit of a trope in cinema, a bit of a pattern that that uh, uh, that uh, that. I and other people who are much better read than me have wow. noted. Um, and anyway, my, my, the whole thing seemed totally improbable to them, to, my, to the other people watching, um, because of this murder, because nothing was said, they didn't kiss, they didn't touch. There was nothing, you know, there was nothing obvious about, let's say, the and so I and, and they didn't believe me. Well, fortunately, it was one of these... CDs or DVDs or whatever that um, that have a commentary track. Uh-huh. Do you know what that is? Well, uh, I think it's a bit of a postmortem when they do the um, special sort of cuts or, or stuff left out. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that, that's a good word for it—a postmortem, actually, <laughs> um, or a postpartum, maybe. Anyway. Basically, it's a copy of the movie uh, in which the soundtrack is... Well, it's a copy of the movie on the same DVD or on a separate disc. Uh, but in this copy, they've, they've sort of muffled the sound. They've turned the volume down because the the, the audio track is um, really about the director or other uh, people uh, who made the movie talking to each other as the movie rolls, as the movie runs. Uh-huh. Have you seen that before? Have you ever seen this? I no, not specifically something like that. I've seen variations. Of okay, various it's, movies on DVDs. Not that I've seen many of DVD, but I have seen it. Um, you know okay. how we made the movie and exactly. Except you know, it's not quite how we made the movie because those are, those tend to be separate features. The making of the movie and they're the video you see you see video interviews of the director, you see video interviews of the uh, the cast and the crew, where whereas this is a commentary track, which means if the movie is two hours long, then this track is the same two hours, except the audio track. The audio track is um, usually two or three people uh, or more talking about the movie as the movie is running. And these uh, two or three, uh, these two or three people, the director. Well, yes, usually it's the director or the producer or the writer or a combination of so all. Or doing that. Pardon? What is the purpose? Is it sort of to, uh, in case we win the Cannes Festival, uh, we better have something like that made so we can illustrate uh, that the movie is not as shallow as you can perceive it from uh, what is on the screen, but. We would explain a bit the the inner currents, which are not so obvious. Maybe a bit of that, but I think the 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 main reason for it is um, that you can advertise special features. You know, when the movie when the DVD sits in the in the in the store, it says, "I'm not just a movie. I include extra bonus features, including I the com- a, a commentary track." Uh huh. Uh huh. That's a marketing track is some some new concept to me. So anyway, you were leading to to certain conclusion from certain movie you watched, right? 
Well, it was Elizabeth and uh, Elizabeth and that that particular exchange of glances, yeah. Well, the whole energy between them. That and yeah. anyway, fortunately, someone decided um, either that day or some other time. Someone decided to play the commentary track, which included the director. The director's name is, I think it's Sekhar Kapoor or something like that. I can't uh, remember. Yeah. Yes, it is, and. Um, this scene came up. And as usual, they sort of talk about the elements of the scene in this relaxed way, lighting, writing, character, what the weather was like that day, you know. And luckily for me, the editor, I mean the uh, director said, yeah, and, and when I decided to shoot this scene, I decided to make Walsingham bisexual. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. That's a good confirmation for you. So, yeah, so I, I felt vindicated. And I'm sorry I took so long to get to this simple point, uh, which which is simply that... Um, yeah, um, it's, it's an incredible medium, really. So, and, um, you know, it would be interesting to... I think you're capable of writing a good script. You think I'm capable of writing a good script? I'm sure you are. Oh, wow. Lydia, writing a good script is very hard to do, and it requires a lot of practice and uh, a lot of experience. I tell you, study the good scripts and learn from them. I would love to write a good script. I'd love to write a... Oh, let me put it differently. I'd love to write a script of a movie which would get made, and it would have TI elements. And I would like it to be a movie which really shakes people. Really what people? It's that's talked about for years. It does, remember, these, these good movies are not necessarily good movies, cinematically or, you know, from the, from the making point of view. But they are uh, like a, a sort of... Um, milestones of cinematography. It's good if they combine all the elements, but uh, it's it's to do with the subject. It's it's one one sort of area has to be really excellent in a movie like that. And it would be in my case, I think it would be preferably the impact the movie can make on an individual. Um, you know, you don't have to aim necessarily for great excellence, but you have to aim at an impact. And by itself, uh, it probably defines excellence in in at least one area. You know, a lot of people uh, who uh, were quite inexperienced they wrote very good books or very good scripts. Um, I had a neighbor who was a film editor. And, you know, as an individual, he never seemed to be that bright to me or that um, his interests weren't broad, fishing, 
That's probably 17 months. Um, he um, he sort of grasp of world affairs or, or general overall intelligence. Certainly no education. And he was an excellent editor. Absolutely excellent. Because he trained in that area. And whatever he edited, whenever I looked at it, he was working for various, uh, um, you know, it was a time when they were forming a lot of television companies and they basically formed a television company to, uh, or, or a film company to make one thing and then you uh, rake the profit and dissolve it. So, so he was moving about, but he worked for a major TV station in uh, England. Uh, which has been making um, serials. Uh, what do you call it here? You know, things, serials, yeah? Yeah, you, yeah. Is there another word, American word for it? <coughs> A series? Series, yeah. We called it serials. Mm. And he was editing um, uh, quite a few of very well... Um, uh, very, very flowing, very fast ones. And his editing was excellent. You know, you just, um, there was never a dull moment. There was never something which, which was out of place. You know, it just made such a great sense. And when you work as an editor, remember you have to, you have all these miles of film and you have to sell, select it by, by relevance, by speed, by composition. It, it is quite a tricky thing to do. And he, as an individual, never impressed me as, as somebody particularly uh, intellectual or well-educated, because he wasn't. He admitted it himself. Yeah, so uh, keep but, uh, just, just the skill, just the skill, appeal for right. things. Yeah, and in fact, Kieslowski has has said in an interview that mm-hmm. Kieslowski. Kieslowski. Yeah, I don't know how to pronounce the Polish. Uh, yeah, Kieslowski or Kieslowski has actually said in an interview that uh, it's gotten to the point for him that making movies has become uh, actually quite boring, except for the editing. He says the editing is the is for him. The only part that's still interesting to him. Huh. But I think it's um, it's very challenging. I don't know if I could do stuff like that. Well, and that's that's my point. I don't think you could do a good editing either, because you always want to um, put a little bit of an explanation or background in case somebody doesn't understand fully. You know, you would mm. want expansion, but it calls for const- contraction. Uh, yes, well, well, but but you're sort of making my point, which is, um, it's very hard. Every, every part of making a movie uh, requires training and experience and uh, and talent. And yeah. uh, I just would never presume that I could. Comp- First of all, I, I so two points. I I don't think I I don't see why I could possibly be a good scriptwriter. And second of I all, think you would, you okay. would because okay. you have. Uh, bit of artistic bent, you have the situational uh, understanding, feel, 
Our perception. I okay. But let me make my second point. Let me make my second point, and then let's come back to this, what you're saying. The second point is, even if I were a good uh, script writer, I can't write one because I'm, I'm being monitored. I'm, I'm under very, very close surveillance. Uh, and uh, what I, whatever I produce, uh, whether it's crap or not crap, it, it's just going to be taken. You know, before the computers, people use pen and paper. Well, it's not easy to Carry write. Carry it on you. Pardon? Carry it on you. No, it's not easy. You have to review. You have to, you have to revise. For me, writing is not about writing. It's about That's rewriting. Remember? She's not listening, Lydia. For me, for me, writing writing is not writing. Writing is rewriting. Of course, and me too. I agree, and I've been dwelling on that. But uh, a bit of application, hard work, it is laborious, but it can be done that way. Well. So don't worry. Don't look for obstacles. Look for the way of overcoming them. Well, but to get to your point, um, uh, you, you just uh, you were paying me some very kind compliments just a second ago, calling me artistic well, or something. I talked something. To long enough to you to make certain assumptions about you. Well, yes, but see, um, when I look at the, today's cinema, and even when I look at uh, excellent cinema that's uh, either from today or from 50 years ago or from whatever. Uh, what I see are people, people who write the scripts um, understand how everyday people or understand how people talk. And I, I don't know if you've noticed, but I, I have a, you know, I'm, I'm kind of stiff in the way I talk. I'm, I'm, oh, I'm an, I'm a, you express yourself extremely well. You make sure you use correct expressions, correct words. You uh, qualify. You uh, are very careful with choice of your words. But that probably springs from uh, being a lecturer, teacher. So this is uh, ingrained in you by training. But, but see, that, but I guess what I'm saying is that even if all of what you just said were true, I don't see how that would make me a good scriptwriter. I see how that would make necessarily, me a bad one. Not necessarily, it would ha- but your perceptions. Hmm. But you the, have, have you ever seen Bullets Over Broadway? Blitz? Bullets Over Broadway. No. It's a very funny and good Woody Allen movie starring the great Diane Weist, or she's at least she's the great Diane Weist in that movie. And, and it's really starting... funny because, quite frankly, Woody Allen was a bit lost on me. Um, sense of humor. Perhaps I didn't see much of him. No, no. I think to try this movie. I mean, I I just think it's a. Well, it's over Broadway. Okay. I I think it's got some really funny moments, but especially the the, the parts involving Diane Weist just. Unbelievably funny, okay. um, and uh, and um, the, the movie is about a scriptwriter, a, a, a writer for theater, and a playwright, 
And it's the, the playwright is actually played by John Cusack. And it's also got uh, Chaz Palminteri in it, who plays a mafioso guy, a guy in the mafia. And the whole point of this, this I'm not giving anything away. It's not, uh, you should still see it. I'm not giving anything away when I say this, but the whole point of, or a theme in the movie is that it's exactly the uh, pencil neck type, the, the, the bookworm, the the academic or the intellectual who produces a bad script. And the one who produces a good script turns out to be the mafia guy. That's right. That's right. Uh, remember Sylvester Stallone? I think yeah. him. Who is the other one of the same ilk? An actor? There are many. Rocky. Uh, I think he he actually is an author. If I'm not uh, mistaking him for somebody else who played that kind of role, because you know I'm pretty blanked out on the names, I don't don't store them in my head. But I think it was him who wrote the script in three days, which uh, became a blockbuster, really. And he did it in three days flat. If he wrote a script, in... actually writing a script. If he did it in three days, he he may have done it on the heels of a trauma. Did something, did some terrible thing happen to him to push him into that? No, I wouldn't say that you need a trauma. I think you need that kind of inspiration which comes from out of the blue, not necessarily some trauma. Well, the reason I say that is... Very strong conviction uh, and um, inspiration coming from nowhere. Okay, well... The reason I say Tend trauma. Then rely on those because that okay. will happen. Believe you me. Okay. The reason the reason I mentioned trauma is that uh, the writer of Scorsese's the, the movie that Scorsese uh, what's it called Taxi Driver. You've seen that movie, right? Taxi Driver from the seventies, starring De Niro and okay. Jodie Foster, and uh, direct. Okay. So Have he wrote it under some sort of uh, pressure? Not pressure, but it was a life uh, crisis. And uh, and he uh, he produced that script, I think, in a week. Huh. He produced it in a week. And, of course, that movie has uh, become a legend. Yeah. I, I don't enjoy uh, much of Scorsese. The only movie of Scorsese's that I've ever liked is... Uh, uh, the Age of Innocence, which is, of course, an Edith Wharton novel. Uh, but anyway, Taxi Driver is considered a great movie, and the, the author uh, just spat the script out because he was... Um, traumatized. Yes, more or less. Uh, life. Oh, you are traumatized, so you have no excuse of not trying. Oh, well, thank you for making it easy. <laughs> <laughs> so, So you've written scripts, then? No, no, I'm just toying with an idea. And uh, I think uh, I, like you, I look at all things which could delay me actually sitting down and doing it. Well, why, why do you think I, I procrastinate? Why do I procrastinate? I think it's, it's this uh, influence of the waves. 
that's an easy cop-out. But um, I think I need to um, use those, those influences in a positive way because very often they stimulate your brain to the degree where you remember some minutiae of your past, well-buried past. And if they can do that, uh, then if you channel it in a different way, you could be um, probing the depths of your memory, uh, emotional memory, let's say, and utilizing it. So um, most of the time I'm sort of like with uh, with certain things I, I can now name them practically. I am very resistant to to deal with them, and I think it's it's outside influence. It's not me. It's some except I don't hear voices, but uh, some kind of um, influence, um, neural influence, you know, remote neural, telling me not to touch it with a dodgeball. Did you say you do hear voices or do not? I don't. I don't, but I think a lot of it is equivalent to voices to um, manipulate your behavior. If uh, one could find a method of translating what is coming in that uh, horrible haste into the years, and uh, people claim that it is possible to to get that digital projection into audio, then I would know who is telling me not to read my uh, instruction manual for ham radio. Why the hell am I resisting reading an instruction manual for some radio? Well, if you'll allow me to, to please. And I say to myself, not now. And I know that I should be. Oh, that shit neighbor is shooting the caliber. It's distracting. Um, you know, every time I turn to it and I have an aversion. Why? Am I going stupid, crazy? Why? I know I should be reading it, but I'm resisting. There's another book which I haven't completed, and I have the same aversion, and I know it would contain uh, some information which is uh, very valid and which should be in my head. I had periods like that in the past where I resisted um, um, really reading much on gang stalking or getting involved in, in uh, finding out for myself. I have these periods which I question, you know, of the past. And I think it is subliminal. I think it's manipulation. Um, but anyway, if it is, then I'm uh, trying to figure out the ways to utilize it in a positive way and overcome that uh, that resistance to certain things. You know, it's like a mental blocks. 
people have them. And I always had some mental blocks. But this is, uh, I think, imposed from outside. You know, we are TIs, I always say, we can have our theories. And this is the second theory of mine. Or, or just extension of the mind control theory of mine. But uh, the the good way of dealing with it is uh, just having a talk with yourself. Actually, like stepping outside of yourself and looking as you were a different person and you were advising that person. Yeah, I go into a therapy um, situation, but it works for me and it's not external therapist. It's myself who is having a talk with myself. It does work. A new one guy, he was an associate of, of ours in the company I worked for, and uh, he ran himself as a company, as a, as a corporation, you know? So mm. everything he did in his personal life was done with the outside look and outside judgment is this correct action for this person who happens to be called Simon? And he was pretty successful. And so I'm um, sort of modifying that uh, that attitude to myself. Maybe you should lower the stakes. I should what? Lower the? Stakes. Stakes? Yes. Um... When you when you hear that when you when you think of when you think I should open that ham radio book, do you think you should sit down and read a big chunk of it? Uh, no, not necessarily. Because you oh, know you it's could, even one chapter. Well, you could just even read one page. I'd stand through the uh, through the tutorials, and my husband was he flanked it badly, and I had um immersion into that, trying to see how to pass the tests on that. So that was a different situation. It wasn't me being involved. It was me being involved in helping somebody else. Yeah, but my point is the stakes don't need to be so high. Your commitment to the task doesn't need to be so big. You could just say, well, let's just read a page or two and then toss it and Move yeah. on to something yeah. else and come I back have, to them. I have made a progress, uh, one chapter, and the chapter was really like train spotting a bit because it was about the handles used and the construction of the handles, which is pretty boring. Well, you know, actual, but um, you uh, know, you it can... doesn't contribute to any knowledge of uh, radio waves. Yeah, but uh, generally, any kind of reading for me any kind of book or manual or web page, you don't have to read it from beginning to end. You can just jump around and taste it here and there. Oh, with this one, you have to pass the test. So I probably would say you do need to have a bit but of background. I didn't you have to pass... Hold on, hold on, hold on. You have to pass a test? Of course. What test? Ham operator's test. Well, Lydia, that you're really reinforcing my point. You don't have to approach that book with the idea of passing the test. You could just 
forget you can jump around the book and not care about the fact that at some future point you might want to take a test. But you see, I've done it in the past. I have been the one who doesn't read instructions. If you had to change the motherboard or something like that, I would not look for instructions or guidance. I would try to dive in or install certain software or work certain software. It was kind of a challenge. Can I do it without distractions, as I called them? Um, it is it is sort of cavalier approach. So I don't want to start from that kind of attitude because I still need to pass the test. Uh, I would, I'm not communicating. It's organized yeah. knowledge in correct order in my head. I'm not. I'm, yeah, you don't. That's not the best way to learn. That's not always the best way to learn. Just because the knowledge is organized in a particular order, it doesn't mean that you have to learn it in that order. You, I think I'm. I have done it already when Lawrence was uh, was having to pass the test. I did that jumping around, and uh, my memory is short, unfortunately, so I don't remember what I've learned at that stage. But I did. No, I'm no, no, no. I'm not even talking about. I'm really not communicating clearly. I'm not talking about jumping around the book in order to learn the subject in a deliberately out-of-order fashion. Yeah. I'm talking about just sampling pieces of the book just to... Yeah, yeah. You're not letting me finish. But that, even that, I get um, some kind of repulsion, would you believe? No, I don't have any trouble believing it, but you really aren't letting me finish. Um, uh, All I wanted to say was you can approach the book without any intention of, even though you know that at some point you want to take a test. You are telling me that. Oh, you you keep cutting me off. Okay, fine. This This is emotional background to it. It's the resistance. Yes, I know. I know. I understand that. I understand that. It's strong. But, yes, but it's becoming a bit less surprised. Oh, you really don't want to let me finish my sentences, do you? <laughs> because it's playing in my head now. I don't what is? talk about it. Oh, you don't want to talk about it? See how bad it is? Pardon? See how bad it is. Well, then, what, what's what? What is it? What are you telling me about this repulsion? Is it at the diagrams or at the words or the numbers? What's repulsion? No, it's it's uh, it's down to opening this book and dedicating my mind to it. Instead of that, I'm thinking, oh, how can I pass nicely time? What do I need to acquire? What kind of knowledge I need to dig out from internet because I needed to check this, check that. What movie could I pick up for tonight? What is on television? What I need to catch up on the news? It's just crowding my head. Anything to substitute that thought of going into the book, opening it. Lydia, do do you like ham radios? Uh... When I was very young, I had a boyfriend who had a ham radio. And uh, 
I have never used it, but I had a great admiration of people who have used it because it gave them the freedom to communicate with all over the world. And in communist Poland, where the radio stations from the West were jammed physically, it was a kind of a freedom, if you like. But I did not get involved into in operation of it. You didn't answer my question. Do I like ham radios? I yeah. lived for many years thinking ham radios are way out. Or, you know, I equated them almost with CB radios. And that, is, uh, in my opinion, was, is a method of trackers communicating the weather conditions and talking nothings on, on the radio to pass the time. Believe it or not, you still haven't answered the question. No? <laughs> no. Do I like ham radios? I've got yeah. a ham radio here. Would you believe it? I just took one look from a distance at it, and I have not touched it. <laughs> I'm sorry. So what is making me resistant to it? You tell me. This, you, this is amazing. you think I'm a reasonable person, perhaps a bit eccentric, <laughs> but... Uh, generally pretty uh, probing and uh, analytical. This is truly interesting because I've asked you three times and you still haven't answered the question. <laughs> do I like ham radios? Yeah. If I asked you, do you like uh, chicken or salmon or you know apples? Well, I haven't had any experience with ham radios. One. I have uh, seen people who were very involved with ham radios. I have okay. uh, seen ham radios used in the 70s movies, you know, trackers and all that. I have uh, uh, equated it a bit to train spotting, you know, talking. Um, what it is, I think of methods of uh, communications used to convey information, ideas, news. Ham radio to me was a method of talking between people for the sake of talking. And uh, this train spotting aspect, oh, I can pick up Australia on my ham radio. You see what I mean? Well, maybe or maybe not. I don't, I'm not sure I do. But if I, if I asked you, do you like avocados? I do. What would you say? I do. Yes? Yeah. You do. Okay, you see how immediately you answered the question and how uh, confidently you answered. Yeah. But you see, in my throughout my life, there were things I didn't like, but I had to deal with them. Ah, now we're getting somewhere. But I have dealt with them. There's hell of a lot of aspects of my life where I had to cope with, and I took great pleasure. I went to great lengths of dealing with them successfully. You just I consider you, them challenges. But you just uh, said something that... Challenges that, and something to overcome and win and have a great satisfaction of achievement. But that's a, there's a bit of a contradiction in what you said because you started saying, you started by saying, there are many things in my life that I didn't like, but I tackled them anyway. 
Yeah. And then you went to say that you took great pleasure. I took great pleasure because with the progress of your work and seeing the small results, results get bigger as you're progressing, you know, it's, it's a self-perpetuating uh, um, thing. When you see that you're winning, then uh, your victory is not that far away as you're making the progress. So mm -hmm. then it becomes a matter of ambition to get there, to get to the end and sit on the laws. Well, you see, it's weird. You just by questioning me. I'm not giving you straight answers, and I'm I'm avoiding avoiding the whole subject of ham radio. And well, what's what's I more interesting? No, the ham radio. I should know the extent of it because it can be used in my targeting. I should know it because I could use it to my benefit. But what what I find really interesting here is that you're comfortable with the contradiction that you just said. Am I comfortable? You're comfortable with the contradiction. You, you, uh, you the, the no, I'm angry at myself in many ways. Because and it's very hard to overcome that mental block. Hmm. But do you see the contradiction I'm talking about? Not clearly enough. Just a second ago, you said there are many things in my life that I did not like, but I had to tackle them. Yeah. And and I did, and uh, and I got great pleasure out uh, and satisfaction out of doing them well. Yeah. But here. It's different. That's why I'm finding it odd. I'm conveying it to you that I'm in that odd situation where I have a repulsion to touch it. And I think it's subliminal. Mm. Unless I'm going gaga like the rest of the eyes. Well, there's a third option which is uh, that it's neither subliminal nor are you going gaga, uh, but that uh, if you listen to the things you just said, ham radio is actually, for you, is loaded with, with baggage. I'm sorry, I, didn't I don't understand. Ham radio is what? Loaded with baggage, historical baggage for you. For me? Yeah, I had no idea until I asked you these questions that uh, ham radio played such an important part in uh, your life in Poland. Uh, it did not play a part. I had a boyfriend who had a ham radio and who was right. free to communicate. Right, and that's the part it played in your life. Yeah, but it was a positive experience. You know, for him... And I have not, um, I have not sat around watching him use it very much. It was a positive but, uh, experience. An acknowledgement that he had that freedom, and also in Poland we had our own radio station, the Scout radio station, which we could broadcast over Warsaw, and that was kind of freedom, because we we played a lot of uh, uh, free, you know, Carolina. Radio. We just uh, 
push the broadcast through all the pirate stations all over Warsaw. So that was freedom. I wasn't doing it personally, but I was listening to it, and uh, my friends were doing it. So the radio station was manned, shortwave. I wasn't in any way involved in mechanics of it. But I was on the receiving end. And it was very refreshing because occasionally we could slip some broadcasts. Mm. Uh, You you say that the radio was a positive experience for your boyfriend. Yeah. Yeah. What was your experience with that boyfriend? Positive one. So, um, you know, you think there is uh, some sort of Freudian connection? I don't like uh, uh, this uh, Freudian business. This is, I mean, this Freud has done so much damage to uh, our civilization. It's just truly sad. But I do believe in associations. I do believe in associations. And, uh, you know, for example, I'll mention that uh, um, yeah, I was going to make a personal disclosure, but I I think I'd rather not. Um, uh, Let me just say that um, there is nothing strange at all about your revulsion at at the radio. Um, that's actually a very... Um, okay, I will say a bit more about myself, but I, I don't even mean to choose myself. I think everyone in the world goes through this uh, quite often and for quite a number of things. Um, no, I won't use myself. I will use someone... Someone that I know, and I'm not going to make her identity known. Mm-hmm. When she was when she was a little girl, she had a neighbor. Um, yeah. Are you there? I am there, and I think um, I think it's probably safe for me to say that this is someone in my family. Um, When she was a girl, she had a neighbor who was an old man, and she was at the time something like 10 or 11 years old, and they had a a strange relationship. She would spend a lot of time um, at his house, and one day, um, you know, she as she grew grew older and became uh, a teenager. Mm-hmm. She she continued this this relationship, this friendship. And one day he tried to rape her. Oh, yeah. Um, and uh, I'm sorry, all these memories are coming back uh, 
because this is someone I uh, someone who was very important to me uh, before my relationship with the family became uh, so bad and um, when he tried to attack her he grabbed her by the wrist he, he grabbed both of her wrists. Mm-hmm. Uh, fortunately, she did not get raped. She uh, fought and uh, she struggled free of him and uh, ran back home. Uh, but um, I think perhaps until today, certainly for years afterward, she could not stand to have anyone touch her wrists. Mm-hmm. So you're looking for some kind of uh, trigger point here in my... No, not in you. All I'm saying is um, associations are real. Yeah. Associations that we can be are, are just made in our minds and we can't... We don't have any control about how they crop up to block something in our actions or or encourage something in our actions. They're, they act. They they have effect on us. And I'm not saying they're permanent. I'm not saying they're insurmountable. I'm not saying they're bad. Yes. I'm just saying... Uh, they have the time being. I'm just saying they have lives of their own, these associations. Yeah. They, live, they live in our minds. Yeah, but I cannot, uh, you know, honestly going back to Radio Ham. I cannot uh, really find any parallels except uh, the parallel with uh, me not getting into gang stalking information and making a very quick assumption that a lot of it is to do with mind control, which I don't have, and I disbelieved very strongly any possibility of mind control or subliminal influences until... I discovered that this is being done to me. And I connected all this tinnitus and other physical symptoms of being zapped to the electromagnetic or microwave uh, waves. But it took me a long time. And again, I'm wondering if it was some subliminal messages I was receiving then. Well, I I can't know the answer. Yeah. to that question, but what I, what I can well, tell you... Well, also, there are other aspects of my behavior which I find strange. Yes, I know, and, and you've heard... was um, that uh, after having a good talk with myself, I managed to overcome them, for now at least, and that is dealing with the paperwork. But you see, look, Lydia, uh, you've actually described in the past uh, what you call strange behaviors that sound to me like they have nothing to do with associations, nothing to do with mental blocks, but they sound really like your mind is being interfered with. Um, I don't really want to say them again because I'm not sure if you're comfortable. Well, you better say it because, you know, you are outside me and you hear what I say. Okay. And you okay. analyze it in your own way. You you told me uh several calls ago about uh, uh, an incident when uh, you felt 
suddenly compelled to leave the house and walk out in a certain direction. Right. Yes. Right. Remember this that. is not. This is. This has nothing to do with associations, or as far as far as I can tell, nothing to do with that or with. Yeah, historical personal associations. I don't see how they could possibly no. uh, cause that. Yeah. But when when you so so in that in in that case, uh, I'm very intrigued by what you're saying, and I frankly would not be surprised if someone is <laughs> beaming some radiation at you and and playing tricks with your mind with your brain. Uh, but I don't know how the technology works, so I'm not saying that's really what's happening, but I'm saying if that were happening, I would not be surprised at all. Contrast that with the ham radio and the paperwork. Uh, those kinds, you've said, those are both projects. Mm-hmm. They're both um, large tasks that... Um, burden you they, they, and I'm projecting on you because you know I have we all in our lives have these we have paperwork we have chores we have things to do and all of us um, procrastinate yeah and the all paperwork I would explain to myself you know cobbler's shoes cobbler's uh, children don't have their shoes repaired because he repairs everybody's houses and the nature of my work throughout my life was dealing with other people's paperwork and, well, paperwork. Oh, I see. And problems. I retired and I said, no more of that shit. I see. Well, there you go. That's an association. The cobbler's shoes. It's an association to a degree. But I have been able to deal uh, with uh, paperwork, and I'm still very capable of dealing with the paperwork. It's the initial thing. And lately, I surpassed myself in dealing with uh, with paperwork because something by having a talk to myself, I suppose, and by um, utilizing the time when I'm more active or more susceptible to uh, my own instruction to myself to do stuff, I have uh, managed to to get on top of current stuff at least. I still have six years of paperwork to go through and file and and uh, retain important stuff from it. But I have made great progress with the help of my husband, of course, because it's it's our paperwork really, and um, he's been pretty good overall. But he couldn't cope with it all. And well, which was mine, you know. It was for me to deal with. You know, I, I didn't. You said six years, and and six I've, years of filing and and putting yeah. stuff in the boxes. So basically, when you said paperwork, I thought you have one or two forms that you need to fill out and mail somewhere. Oh, uh, that that I used to in the past, not so distant. I used to delay hell of a lot. Right. But, uh, but, but, he was up to my ass and he would pin me down, thankfully, you know. But okay. uh, there was a great resistance to touch anything, great right. resistance. And That's I think, tough. again, it was beyond a point of uh, uh, my uh, attitude. Now, I don't want to deal with paperwork. I don't have to deal with paperwork. Um, these days are over. It was beyond that. 
it was almost like jeopardizing myself in in some ways. Okay. So what I want getting into a state where you have uh, guilt feelings, um, you have the resistance, you have what is it called dissonance? Well, I guess some people. You've used this phrase before, cognitive dissonance, but that's not what it is necessarily. And I don't like these big science-sounding words that, yeah. that uh, don't really uh, explain much. Properly. Yeah. What I wanted to say, if you'll let me finish, is uh, you've mentioned the paperwork before, but only now did you mention that there is six years of backlog yeah, I had no idea that this paperwork was so huge. Yeah, but basically, it's not um, not uh, important. It's not. It's pending in the sense that you have to put that in order. It's not uh, raising any issues which would backfire on me. You see, it's it's uh, relatively minor, but it's important in the sense that you need the documents in the right place and. You need to look at what you were pursuing in the past and um, the conclusions you reached. You know, there's uh, various aspects of, of our lives and existence here which are documented and which should be stored correctly and uh, perhaps uh, act as reminders to take some action. But nothing, you know, nothing vital. The vital stuff I managed to knuckle in and... Uh, is over a period of a month, I think. Well, listen, it's it's 10:30, and and I haven't gotten to the the big uh, thing I I wanted to share with you tonight. Oh. Um, and um, the big thing hasn't happened yet. <laughs> oh, oh, I thought. All right. All right. Well, what do you suppose? Schedule another call? Well, I, I, we can keep... Do you, can, do you need to go? You can go on. So, uh, yeah, I, I just... Um, I, um, I, look, uh, the paperwork uh, feels funny to you. It is funny. That the worst thing about it is funny. You're not letting you're not letting me finish. Go on. Um, um, I feel funny saying this because um, uh, it sounds like it comes out of a movie. But and the paperwork and the ham radio are big. Somehow they're they're heavy projects. So. We, I think many people, many of us, tend to resist that kind of um, work that involves some some uh, part, some bit of drudgery. Yeah, and I've always said that. Yeah, in addition, in addition, both of these. Um, as you think about them and as you go through them, both of them are going to evoke your past. Both uh, of them. Yes, all right. There might be some uh, slightly emotional aspect. 
Yeah. Yes, the things and, I and get that, done. And and you you know you you've been targeted for a long time. I imagine as you go through the paperwork, you're going to be reminded of different places that you lived, different people that you well, knew. Even that, the different aspirations I had, which didn't get fulfilled. Oh wow! So it's even more loaded than I thought. Yeah, yeah, but it is a, it is a parcel in a way. Because even going, remember I told you about going for a walk? Uh, I've been for any serious walk. And because of this is a daily occurrence where I say, oh, because we have, you know, change of shift here. And my husband is doing a lot of physical work, um, which means that I have to stay outside. I have to stay inside while he is outside. So this is like a kind of excuse for me not saying to him, now you have your lunch, I'll go out, or, or something like that. I'm almost uh, into the uh, mode of avoiding it, although I enjoy it a lot. It's almost like something stopping me from doing it. And didn't uh, you, this, didn't is, you think- this is very unusual. Didn't you say that your hip is... Once I'm out, I enjoy it so much. And I walk my land and I enjoy it. This is what I loved all the time. But somehow, I feel anchored. Mm. This is is very similar to paperwork and to ham radio. Mm. So I think it's all this remote pneumomonstrum. I think there is something saying in my head, no, you should not go for a walk, not today, not not now, not now, go later. And I watch the sun going down, and it's going down now, and uh, he's doing some work. I could easily recall him or tell him take a rest because he's working, and he is working a lot. I want to go for a walk. But I'm almost waiting for him to, to play his own you know, arrangement what, what, for him to finish what he's doing and and be free to do what, what he wants. And I'm sure he may be thinking, oh, perhaps I should come in now, perhaps she could go for a walk. And he sometimes does and says that, oh, I'll come back, you go for a walk. And I find an empty number of excuses why I shouldn't go. Now, isn't that stupid? It's totally stupid. And I know it. But I feel like restraint. Or perhaps I see a bit of RT or what is on the news quickly, zoom for it, save time so we can eradicate the commercials and get to the gist of things here. And, and you know, it's crazy because it's so beautiful here. And I would enjoy it. But it's that initial start off. And uh, there are times, sometimes at night, I feel like going and checking something. So I take a flashlight and I go and I tell them, lock up, and I go. But th- that is not of any uh, distance or time. So there are uh, periods where I feel I should do it because I haven't done it before. And I end up walking, you know, in the darkness, which isn't... Um, that good for my hip because, you know, everything here is 
it's on a bit of a slope. Most of the stuff is on a bit of a slope. Where I need to go at night is on a bit of a slope. So it is just, I'm boring you now, but it is not me. And I'm fighting to, to regain myself. I'm really, really fighting. I'm saying I'm fighting, but am I? I'm giving in. What? Uh, when did this start? It's over a period of some time. Long time. Oh. How long? Well, I would say throughout the spring and... Uh, yeah, yeah. I think it started uh, pretty early in the year. Why well, don't go? Well, one of the reasons is when I go, I start weeding and pulling stuff out and um, perhaps I... I tire myself or, or hurt my, you know, my hip a bit by bending down all the time. But that's that's something I always did. So I have to restrain myself from trying to make the place prettier and just uh, just enjoy. Ah, I, I don't know. I can't put my my finger on it. Why it is like that? It. Uh, it could be in part of making sure nobody enters and making sure that my... But I always make sure that I hear my husband locking up and the house is safe for me to leave. I've got to, for my own sake. You know, and I'm always uh, very positive about my husband going out. Like yesterday I could have gone, but we always do stuff in shifts. So we cannot have any social life together. There was a potluck party for people leaving from the neighborhood, you know, from our community. And I made sure that he had the potluck, that he went off, and that he had, good, you know, good time was guaranteed. But uh, I do make sure. But I could have taken an option of going out myself, but I always pass that option to him somehow. And sometimes it's, it's that he's great resistance because he insists that I go. So there is something, something subliminal, I think, uh, working on me, trying to isolate me, trying to make my life too, too restrictive and uh, uninteresting. But I'm cooperating with that. That's a sad part. We had a very nice couple leave, packing up and moving away. They were very prominent in their community. And they decided that, uh, you know, they're getting on and they were running a vineyard and it, was, it got a bit too much for them. So it was a big send-off yesterday for them. But things like this, I should be, you know, I should be roaring to go and see everybody. Just don't know. Perhaps, uh, perhaps I, and then shielding is another thing. I'm resisting. I'm resisting spending big money on, on shielding, which might not work. Or even experimenting with more expensive shielding. So I think these guys have got a handle on us in many ways, in ways we don't even know. 
horrible. Yeah. That ringing is very strong now in my ear. Extremely strong. And it's mixing with the crickets, but when I go into the house, then the crickets are not uh, audible, and I hear the ringing. Wow. Yeah, that's what you're up against, you know. It's um, very important to recognize these things and uh, put up a fight. Well, but again, I uh, I tend to think uh, it's uh, the great shame in this is that for whatever reason, you don't have a community supporting you. Well, no, that's not totally true, you know. I have people around here which are very supportive. But very much so. You have a ringing in your ears, let's do this and that. Wait, wait, there are people around you who are very what? Well, the community is good here. No. Uh, so, um, I'm not know. talking about good. I'm talking about the lack of, the lack of, the absence of a community that's indignant about what's happening to you and that's insisting that the culprits be hunted down. Yeah, you see, I, I'm in a community where it technically could be possible to get them into that kind of mode. Because they 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 are against stuff um, of that nature. Um, but I could be doing hell of a lot more by by getting them to to recognize it. I do, I do it in my own way. I do not want to offload on them, and I call it security problems. And then when they get inquisitive, I say, well, focus. And uh, if you want to know more, just look it up. So, you know, I tend to be a bit withdrawn lately from all this around me. And I I don't know. I just don't understand it. Why am I behaving like this? Mm. I'm very self-analytical and self-critical. Well, you certainly you're certainly frustrated. You're you're certainly. Uh, I'm frustrated uh, with myself. Yeah. 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 You're certainly uh, uh, taking yourself to task for not taking up uh, unpleasant tasks. You see, there are opportunities here to do something within the community itself to make them aware. If they're not already aware, because I cannot blame this community at all for stalking. You you can't blame them for stalking. No. No. So you so you uh, of the community. They're not part of our community in a true sense. And that is an advantage to be in a in a setup like that. But I'm not utilizing it. And only in a small way. 
because I don't want to spend time with members of community um, talking to them what's happening to me and offloading on them. I want them to come to that realization by themselves. And there are people in the community who have uh, very strong views about the chemtrailing. Well, that's a good But they would be receptive. Yeah. Well, you know, perhaps another talk with myself and uh, I will get somewhere. I'm not displeased with myself overall uh, for the last two, two, three weeks. I have been... I have been making progress. I just need to make progress in all the areas, like exercising and uh, uh, dealing with the paper, dealing, continuing to deal with paperwork, and um, getting involved in the community. Because the stuff is really, you know, pleasing, interesting, entertaining. I've missed so many events. Although we are small, um, somehow the community knows how to enjoy themselves and live fulfilling lives here. That's why, you know, a lot of people are um, not not necessarily the, the third generation or fourth generation of pioneers, but but implants from uh, other areas. People who are not necessarily um, materialistic, but who know about quality of life and know how to live the fulfilling lives. They know what they expect. So, um, you know, I'm in the right setup. I'm probably in the best setup any TI could be. I'm uh, I'm very upset that these things are happening to us, and of course your case is different from mine. You're you're getting all these physical uh, attacks. I think it's happening not just to us, but it's happening to the population at large, without their understanding or knowledge. That's the part I have a hard time uh, with. Um, I don't see that anything has changed in the population at that level, at that level of course, uh, yeah, at that uh, average level. I, um, well, I think about the subliminal influencing, you know? Uh, I don't, I just don't see how that can be done except through movies and the kinds of things I've you know, I was talking to Olga, and she mentioned that there are these um, projected sounds. She she thinks that it is uh, using bone conduction. Using what? Bone conduction. Bone conduction? Yeah. Conduction of what? These messages don't have they they can come uh, via various carriers, but. Uh, Bone conduction could be one. And she illustrated the point by saying she's in the middle of concrete jungle 
and there are plenty of crickets playing out. Rain or shine. Did you and say crickets? You're going too fast. You're going too fast. Could you could you say it again? You're in the middle of a what? Concrete jungle. What's a concrete jungle? Well, not much grass, not much, not many open spaces. Okay, a city, an urban, a dense urban center. Uh, L.A. Okay, fine. And then, and then, what about crickets? And the crickets, rain or shine, keep on going. Full blast. Crickets, crickets usually go full blast at night, right? Right. And okay. when it's dry, generally. Dry. So, when you say rain or shine, you still mean that they're not. Uh, do I need to ask about the detail? They are go not ahead. Crickets. That's the point. They're not what? Yeah, the acoustic effect of the uh, projections of sound. And um, she has experienced in her building and noticed in the adjacent buildings that the pipes are bursting. And uh, a lot of sounds which uh, are not usual, which could, um, a lot of vibrations. So her conclusion is that all these projections of acoustics are affecting the environment. And it is a side effect. The primary purpose is to project uh, project the communication to, to people's heads. Yeah, I, I'm, this, is, I, this is not making... I'm not able to sort out all these various things you've, you've just mentioned. Well, oh, about bone conduction. But what is the bone conducting? Bone conducting is a method of communicating directly to your brain. No, what is the bone conducting? Is it conducting electrical current or sound or what? Sound. And this is what has been used in um, a German railway train to uh, convey advertisements to people. If okay. they rest uh, their heads against the glass, they get the sound straight into their brain. Okay, well, uh, the sound doesn't go straight to your brain. It goes through your ear into your brain. Mm, that's where you don't even have to rest your head, I think. It goes straight into your brain, apparently. No. You no but don't forget, you have you have bones in your ear. Yes, that's what I mean. Uh, I don't mean that the sound goes necessarily from out from the outside air through your eardrum into the brain, uh, but the ear must be stimulated. I think if if, uh, if you're le- leaning your head against a, a wall or. If you're leaning, okay. but if you're not leaning and you're still getting it, Th- then then what's the bone condition? I think in in some square in America where they were managing to project it without actually people being in contact with any surfaces. Yes, it's not hard to project sound in a very uh, low t- in a, to a very small area of space, a very precise point. That's that's been done. There are shops. There are even stores that show it off as an advertising uh, advertising uh, gimmick. So. Um, so how do we discern that? 
uh, if the pipes are vibrating and eventually the glue breaks up because there's so so, so what is so what is this about the pipes? I wanted to go back to that. Pipes, what water pipes bursting. What's the relevance of that? The relevance is that it is conveyed through vibration. What is conveyed? Uh, the audio. You know, it's uh, how how to explain it. Um, it's not like a broadcast from a loudspeaker. Okay, that sound is processed by your brain. I have no problem uh, believing that or understanding how sound can make it into the brain without being coming out of a loudspeaker or coming out of someone we sound is a, you know, a pressure a vibration of pressure it goes through walls it goes across walls there's no mystery there so when you tell me for example that you can hear something only if you lean your head against the window that's not surprising at all there's that's nothing not surprising not at all okay, I, I'm that's sure. not surprising but well, why do you think? Why do you think, for example, because uh, the brain people, processes that vibration. You, you know, you when, when you're receiving the sound, you're already receiving audible sound, which is which does need any decoding. No, right? it does. No, it does need decoding. It does if it's audible. If if it's through the air, it still has to go through the eardrum. Basically, it sounds. It, it seems to me that when you lean your head against a window that is carrying coded vibrations, uh, such as this German train has, yeah. uh, the vibration... Uh, you know, you're not letting me finish my sentence. Okay. When, when you lean your head against a window that has coded vibrations, such as this train in Germany, the vibrations just bypass the eardrum. And they stimulate the inner parts of the ear directly. They don't need to. They don't need to engage the eardrum. So they are not at the audible broadcast, like from speakers, uh, you know, public address yeah. system. Yeah, you don't. Yeah, you don't need that. Yeah. If, if if you're touching your head to the wall or to a door or to the window. Yeah, but if you're getting that and not touching the head to the wall. Then, yeah, then it could be one of these uh, localized audio. I mean, you can see it on YouTube. People are showing off their little audio inventions. They can project audio in a uh, in a very specific direction. Yeah. Um, making it sound well, like... The theory is that there are these projections made in the neighborhood and they all around the neighborhood in the neighborhood. Uh, Who is influenced is not just the TIs, although if TIs have chips, that's another chapter, right? But uh, that everybody can be influenced. And well, this is a network this is, of the Okay, so we need to we need to stop here and, and mention well, the thing that I the audio um I didn't mean we need to stop here as in the stop stop the call. I just mean uh, the the directional projecting of sound that I just mentioned 
is totally opposite to what you just described. Why? Because it's one thing to project a sound along essentially a ray, a line in space, so that it ends up uh, at a particular person. It's another thing to broadcast acoustic energy in all directions. Yeah, and premises. Pardon? All her premises that it's all in all directions, and the audible uh, indication of it is hearing crickets in places where crickets don't have a way of existing. Oh, it's very hard to find crickets. Why? Why does? Why should you assume that if you hear crickets and you don't see them, then something spooky is going on? Because she recorded the the cricket um, sounds, a real cricket sounds from from the you know various sites, and there is always a slight variation. And uh, in my case here. I cannot run the comparisons because I have so many crickets that the overall sound is enveloping and it sounds um, even uniform because so, there are so many of them broadcasting at the same time. So the ringing in the ears is very similar to crickets. So the theory is that there is a sound being broadcast throughout say, a neighborhood, Yes. it sounds to the unsuspecting person like cricket. Mm-hmm. But, so it's, it, it's heard as cricket. Yes. But the, uh, the sound interacts with buildings or plumbing yes. buildings. And that interaction... Vibration, among other things. Pardon? Causes vibration. Uh, it causes vibrations, and somehow the vibrations are adjusted just right so that um, after interacting with the building, they, inter- they, be- they interact again with the listener in such a way as to produce voices. Yeah. And as they uh, vibrate the buildings, they vibrate the water pipes which break. Because if you if you think of plastic pipes, let's let's say let's not go into metal because they're heavier and probably require more vibration, although they're more less uh, elastic. But um, if you take a water pipe, it's usually glued at some point, and that vibration could probably break the bonds and uh, not necessarily cause the pipe to break as such, but uh, just loosen the bonds and cause the leakage. Loosen the what? Loosen the bond, the glue bond, the adhesive bond. I have some experience with pipes here. And, uh, you know, just uh, the changes in temperature can affect it. Um, driving a car over an area where the pipe is buried can affect the pipe. So uh, vibrations are the aspect of of that uh, a failure of pipes which she is experiencing in her area. 
In order for a vibration to cause that kind of damage, typically the frequency of the vibration has to match the natural resonant frequency uh, in the pipes. Mm-hmm. And yeah, but it's it's just um, you know illustration of what what is another manifestation of the phenomenon. Mm. The cricket stand is the main manifestation. And if you look at it logically, the crickets are creatures of uh, cycles. They will start at certain time, at certain temperature, at certain humidity. They wouldn't be going like um, like clappers all the time. Well, um, just come in, and I hear hissing in my ears. The same hissing I heard on top of some cricket sound outside. No cricket sound now, just a hiss behind my head. Anyway, this is just something to ponder about, that these influences which are uh, directed at TIs, they could be as easily directed at all the population. Well, but then the whole population would be hearing voices. No, I don't hear voices. But, but yeah, I'm not... I'm, the theory you've just been discussing is that well, in voices... Case of, in case of the train, that was eventually a voice, right? You and told me. I don't, I've not heard of... The methods where the remote neural monitoring is done by sort of communicating... Lydia, Lydia, we're, we're jumping from point to way point. Still. Lydia, we're jumping from point to point. Let's please just... You just finished uh, laying out a theory in which voices could be put into the head of a TI by uh, broadcasting sound and having the sound interact with the building before it then interacts with the TI. Yes? But it's not necessarily voices. Well, my point is my point. My point is that's uh, okay. Then what is it? What is it? It's ringing in the ears. Then why isn't everyone in the building experiencing ringing in the ears? Um, Because perhaps they're not chipped. But chips are. I I thought we agreed that chips were. Perhaps we hear the ringing because our chips are being stimulated and they put pressure and it's it's uh, that much easier for them to do it. I see. I see. But it doesn't mean that they are immune to all these electromagnetic waves. Who is that? You can buy one on eBay, which would... Uh, you can buy uh, equipment which would generate certain electromagnetic wave at certain frequencies which promotes you to be alert. Like if you drank three cups of coffee, 
it could be another way if you tune it to and it would make you sleep, you know? Mm. So this is the the kind we are aware of, the kind of uh, existing uh, generators which cause that. I I don't understand why it was necessary to construct this elaborate theory involving acoustic waves only to say at the end that you still need to be chipped in order to uh, have the effect work. When, in fact, you could use electromagnetic radiation too. Yeah. Uh, You don't understand understand the distinction. The distinction could simply be that um, SATI, you could be receiving it at a higher volume and... uh, there could be much more elaborate way of communicating to you than it is communicating to ordinary people. It could be just to suppress people. In England, they had this um, this buzzing sound uh, broadcast to get jobs to disperse, disperse, you know, the the vandals and so on. They would to make what? To make them to even get, sick. To get what to disperse? Yobs. Yob is a term for unruly uh, van, vandal uh, teenager. Yob is Yob, you know. It's a, it's a character who is up to no good and uh, they form groups and go. How do you spell it? How do you spell it? Y O B. A Yob. Mm-hmm. A very common word in English. English. Yeah, and so they use. They use sound waves to disperse them? Yeah. Well, they what's put the... it in certain places, and it has been done, you know, uh, for quite a while. When I was okay, there, but, already. Okay, but, okay, but is Prevents it... Prevents them from congregating and getting up to Lydia, no good. Yeah, Lydia, let me speak. Um, is it just broadcasting sound that everyone can hear? Yeah. Then yeah. If you're in the vicinity of that, you wouldn't want to be there. Because, because it's extremely it's... irritating and disconcerting, and gets okay. But what's so? What's the so that obviously doesn't involve any mysterious technology. What, what's no, the relevance? It involves the wave technology. Pardon? It involves the wave. It, it involves an electromagnetic wave, which creates that feeling. I thought you said it's an it's a sound. Ah. It's a buzzing sound. Then it's, it's not, not very loud. Then it's not electromagnetic waves. It's sound. But don't you think that the spectrum could be broader? The, the question... Electromagnetic is, plus acoustic. You, no. You that these, um, these could vary? No, no, Lydia. Someone never. No, 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 no. Electromagnetic waves and sound waves are as different as you know. They are different in the main, but uh, they could be uh, oscillating. Of course, they're oscillating. They they could be not oscillating. They could be changing the frequencies. Oh sure. This is this is of course they're changing frequencies, but 
if you're hearing it, if the yawps are hearing it, it means it's sound. It's not electromagnetic. Well, so the buzzing in my ears, which I hear, or behind my ears to be correct, um, is it acoustic? Uh, can your husband hear it? No. Then no. No. If I, if I were to stand next to you while you're hearing it, would I hear it? I don't know. I don't think so. Then it's not acoustic. Hmm. It's a trick that's being played on your ears. You know, I feel like giving up for now because I'm not really that conversant with uh, what is out in the way of information on this technology or technologies. And uh, the overall statement by the TIs who, who claim to know about it is that many technologies may be involved at the same time. So many projections can be involved. We we have to discuss what is happening around all this place and okay. try to discern that. Okay. It, I mean, it's possible that multiple technologies are being used at the same time and that they need to be combined in order to produce an effect. Mm-hmm. But uh, that would need to be explained. Yeah. yeah. Shall we switch to uh yeah let's do to uh my big event of this week okay, go on um, um, I bought a book and the book is about the Stasi. Stasi. Yes. And uh, I don't know how to sort of start talking about this book. Well, first of all, tell me who the author is. Is he a German? Uh, the author is a woman. The name of the book is Stasi Land. And the author is Anna Funder. Funder as an F, F as in Frank, U N D E R. Is she German? No, she's Australian, of Danish descent, fluent in German, and and lived in East Germany for a year or something like that as an exchange exchange student, and then then returned to Germany um, in the late 90s um, to work, and she produced books. And uh, was she in Germany during the Stasi period? Yes, as a student, yeah. 
She was born in 1966. Something like that. Mm-hmm. She was she was born in 1966, and um, it took her five or six years to write this little book. Mm-hmm. A little. It is a small book. Uh, it's only like 200 pages long or something. Mm-hmm. Actually, that's not true. It's two, 250 or so. Mm-hmm. It's, a fast, it's a fast read. Um, and and have you I, read it? Yes, I've, I've, I'm three quarters of the way done or something like that. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm I'm blown over by this book. I don't know how to talk about it. I don't know how to talk about it. Um, you have mentioned the Stasi many times during our call. Mm-hmm. And on more than one occasion, I think you, you said, yeah, this NSA gang-stalking FBI, this is, this is the Stasi in America. Not necessarily in the sense that not, I don't think you mean that the Germans have come over and That's take right. it over, yeah. but that it's it's the same apparatus, the same programs. Yeah, some of the techniques, but uh, motivations, I think, are a bit different. Well, um, I don't see that. I see in this I, in this book. It's um, the second author that I found whose writing um, give me comfort because they because she understands what I'm going through. Of course, I'm not going through exactly the same thing as what she's describing. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first author you'll remember is uh, Sarjanitsyn. Mm-hmm. Um, well, okay. I, he didn't have the experience of East Germany. Yes, uh, but he he was in the gulag, and I'm in a kind of administrative gulag. It's it's uh, different, but uh, I had barely heard of Solzhenitsyn before my uh, Holocaust in December yeah. 2012, and after my Holocaust, and after I got my hands on stuff for the first time, I was deeply relieved because I finally found someone, something that understands what's being done to me. And uh, until I got this book by Anna Funder, Stasiland, he was the only one, his writing was the only writing that had that... uh, Effect. Mm-hmm. Um, I now understand what you mean when you say 
to me. You've said it to me in a tone that says, um, of course, you said this, at some point in time, you said something like, of course they're doing this. This is the, this is the Stasi technique that they're doing. And you said it to me, assuming that I understood what you meant. Mm-hmm. Because you understand. Um, you were in the, the Eastern Bloc. I was in Eastern Bloc, but um, Poland, or at least the majority of the Poles, haven't had these techniques applied to them. Right, but you were right next to Eastern Bloc. Or to the, uh, applied to the numbers of Poles. Understood. Understood. To the German. Understood. Understood. But uh, you're right next door to East Germany, so you're hearing about these things. You're living through them, even though you're not living yes, through them. My mother but has, uh, friends in Germany, and they right. visit. Right. And so, uh, I've been to East Germany when I was 16. Yes. I so, get the feel of the place. Yes, so you understand. Passion. So you understand. Yes. And when you say Stasi, all of you say it with all of this understanding. Well, I I'm not trying to. I worked with a girl who was from East Germany, who knew people who were under Stasi surveillance and and so on. I know fear of Stasi. Yes. Um. You know what I dislike very much is the program we are in compared to Stasi. Yes, it has the elements, the stupid elements of hand signals and all that crap. I didn't know even about the hand signals. But I'm saying that the purpose was not so um, destructive in East Germany. It was more to moderate people into the behavior which was and to be the norm and acceptable. It wasn't to to totally distract them, you see. That's not true. That's not true, Lydia. Mm. Uh, that's uh, when I... Uh, when you read this the book, you did transpires that these people were just uh, hunted down and um, distracted. Yes. Yes. Um, it's this book. It's funny. The Solzhenitsyn I connect to, not because the things he he is describing are happening to me, because I'm I'm not in the gulag. But I connect to them because what he recognizes in his experiences is a, a great horror, a moral horror. Right? Solzhenitsyn is all about uh, the, the morality, the immorality of what's going on. right? And I found great comfort in that. On the other hand, Anna Funder here in this book um, does not treat the crisis in morality in the same rich or deep uh, or resonant way 
in which Solzhenitsyn treats it. Instead, she describes cases in detail. Uh-huh. And, and those things are what are being done to them. The actual uh, mechanics, the actual uh, logistics. Of ostracizing people. Ostracizing, destroying their careers, going behind their backs and playing with them as if they're a mouse because they can control uh, what shopkeepers say to them, what uh, colleagues say to them, uh, what other people say about them, um, whether they can get into a university, whether they can get the job they want. All of this uh, I'm seeing described in this remarkable book. And uh, this is the first uh, time I see my own life being described, especially the bit about the informants. That's what? Informants. Yeah. People who are um, approaching you um, with uh, displays of friendship and are really spying on you and going back to some, I don't know, spy master, oh, I don't know what the word some uh, handler, I don't know what the right word is, uh, and uh, planning your life for you, blocking blocking you from certain opportunities, forcing you into certain directions, yeah. pushing you down, pushing you sideways, pulling, pulling all the strings. Yeah. Um, and uh, all the time they're looking at you into your face and uh, telling you that they... Uh, they like you, and you should trust them. Yeah, because uh, people were instructed to inform and find out as much as they could about their neighbors and no. report. No, you, no, no. We're talking about targeted individuals. We're not talking about neighbors. Yeah, but these targeted individuals only transpired to be targets by the information from the neighbors. No, no. You're talking about something, maybe some other cases that that are not reported in this book, but uh, that's not what this book discusses. Um, This book discusses people who um, who in one way or another crossed the Stasi and got on their list. And, uh, the studies, but it was basically by denying any allegiance to a communist system. No. And, you know, the, the whole communist setup, if they have arose any objections and published anything, if it was possible to publish anything, but... Uh, uh, say, tried to um, produce any kind of opposition to the system, then they were spied on and reported on. Yes, but uh, there were cases when that didn't happen, and yet people were targeted. Really? Yes. I think you, you're very quick to assume that you know what's in this book, but you haven't read the book. No, I don't know what is in the book. But I have got a general take on the 
um, Eastern um, East Germany's um, system and methods of uh, of control the population of population and uh, the the uh, line was uh, was set up pretty high. You had to toe the line. You had to. Uh, yes, Lydia, we know this. We know. But you, you had, had to, to toe the line to the point where you did not speak to the foreigners, for instance. You didn't associate with anybody who could have uh, wrong political views and so on. Yes, yes that's right. So, um, I want to. Com- There's so much I want to say about this book. Um, I'm a little annoyed that we, you know, we have only about 20 minutes left to this recording, and I feel like I could talk about this book for an hour and a half or two hours. Um, the, let me come out and say flatly. Um, that everyone, everyone, um, everyone everywhere should read this book. Mm. It's not. It's not because, uh, or just because, it's about the Stasi, and we're going through a, a resurgence of Stasi uh, persecution in this country. It's not just because of the NSA. It's because the writing is remarkable. Uh, And I don't know how to uh, describe it without um, misdescribing it. I'm tempted to say, and other reviewers have said, that what's remarkable about this book is that it reads like a novel. I see. It's clear that the author, who, who has become a novelist also, it's clear that the author intended for this book to read like a novel. Um, and uh, that is unusual. Usually, books of this kind are written in uh, written as a more or less as an inventory of facts or yeah. as a long or as a long report. But this is not a long report. This is um, a story about Anna Funder and her time um, talking to these victims. Mm-hmm. And so it's a story about their stories. And she tells it as a, as a story. And it's full, it's full of her. It's full of her because she's the one going around um, hearing and recording all these stories, but it's it's also full of them. It's full of people. I don't know. This, this sounds really silly, but I don't know how to um, explain this. Uh, you would think that by writing um, such a book as if it were a novel, you would think that that might weaken it, that that I, might... Um, I would think so. If that book is intended to be a record, 
of events, factual events, then I think it should stick to the facts. It crosses the boundary between the novel and... Uh, but it's not a novel. And well, she's only... She's only... She's only it's, what do they call it? Docu... Documentaries. No. What do they call it? There's a, a new word. Device. A, a docudrama? Something like that. Not necessarily okay. that. Mm. But it is in that uh, sort of genre. Okay, so this is not a docudrama. This is not a novel. You would think that by writing it, by making, you would think that by making it feel like a novel, mm. you 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 might uh, weaken um, the the telling of these stories. Yeah. Uh, but quite the contrary, and a bit surprisingly or paradoxically, mm-hmm. uh, it only strengthens it only strengthens the the telling. There is uh, there's only facts in here, and yet uh, yeah. So get... novel element is probably not the correct way of. Uh... No, Lydia, you're 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 being really quick to judge this book, and you haven't read it. No, well, but when so you this... say it's written like a novel, it's written from the perspective of a victim. No, it's no, a victim. No, she is. She is. What does perspective mean? Uh, what what I'm guessing is that when she writes about experiences of these people, she makes it more lifelike by describing their feelings and uh, describing the flow of events in more novelistic novelist fashion. You know what? Um, you're you've got you've the, the this expression novelistic fashion or what i've said like a novel is just too uh too vague to um i it's giving you very much a wrong idea yeah probably it's uh, it's it's from the personal point of view of pers- of this individual experiencing it and it doesn't really the the novelist aspect or description doesn't really fit it. Do you Lydia, mean? you're you're not in a position to judge this book before you read it. No, I'm not judging the book. Yes, I'm just judging the gender. And uh, when you said it's partly like a novel, it's probably incorrect. You see what I mean? No, no, I I I don't. Uh, if, I don't you, if she's describing the reactions of the person who is subject to that, and she, it's um, delving well into the personality of that person, uh, it doesn't make it a novel. See what I mean? You said yourself, it is uh, more factual. It's not more factual, it's entirely factual. Yeah. Yeah, it's the style. But what do you uh, mean? the style doesn't probably detract from uh, from it being uh, factual or or uh, 
you know, it may may look a bit more sensational in some way. I'm only guessing, but um, you know, when you say it's like a novel. Okay, I I think we're 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 just getting off on on a really unproductive tangent. Um, um, uh, really, what I want to say is that the book is written in such a way as to be. Uh, Intensely absorbing, and um, it's absorbing, right? That's what you said. Absorbing. Can you hear me? Okay. Yeah. I, I, I'm I'm saying it's very absorbing, and um, yeah, you know, there's only like. Ten minutes left to our recording here, and I'm really, really frustrated because I wanted to. Uh... Well, I think you should you should leave the premise of this being um, sort of novelistic style. If it describes the facts, it's not a novel. It's not a novel. It's not a novel at all. But it feels like a novel. That's how 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 great this achievement is. It's a report that feels like a novel. I've never read anything like this before. Uh, granted, I haven't read much in my life. Um, but in you know, I've never I've never ex- seen anything like this before. Because these stories become like that. When you, an outsider reading it, it's like a novel. I can just think of experiences of certain persons I knew who were yeah. uh, associated with opposition yeah. in Poland. And their yeah, story I... was exactly like a novel, but it was all factual. Because yeah. I, you identify with the character. Even, all right, I, I knew the character personally. But uh, it becomes like that for, for an outsider. And it's such a roller coaster. No, I think you're a, a bit too quick to assume that you understand what reading this book feels like. I'm sure you've had remarkable, you've heard remarkable uh, reports from people in person, but you're being a bit in too. In person quick. as well as in writing, public right. writing. Okay, and well, it sounds I... like a novel because these events are so so fast, powerful, so changeable, you know, gripping. Well, there's nothing fast and colorful about this. These are horrors. Yeah, horrors are colorful too. Okay, well, um, I wanted to compare this book to a movie that I made the mistake of acquiring uh, recently. The movie is called um, The Lives of Others. Have you heard of the title? Mm-hmm. This is a movie. The first time I heard the title was from Luke Harding, uh, an interview of Luke Harding somewhere on YouTube. Mm-hmm. He's the uh, uh, porter who uh, uh, was banned from Russia. We we talked about him a few. Yeah, weeks. yeah. 
and uh, we discussed how uh, within uh, three or four months of his stay in Russia with his family, uh, he became uh, targeted by the FSB. Mm-hmm. FSB means KGB. Really. Yeah. And used uh, gaslighting techniques and uh, Stasi techniques to intimidate him. And uh, he mentioned this movie. So I, I got this book uh, by Anna Funder, and I thought this is just uh, tremendous, tremendous reading. And I, I bet you that movie is also going to be tremendous. It, now is the right time to watch that movie that Luke Harding mentioned. I got the movie. Lives of Others. The Lives of Others, right. And what is remarkable about the movie is not so much that it fails to capture the same kinds of experiences or to convey the, the experiences the same, in the same way that the book does. Because the, the movie and the book are talking about you know, not the same cases, they're different people, but it's the same Stasi, it's the same story, the same techniques, the same harassment, the same um, uh, destruction of lives, the same lies, defamation, extortion, uh, crazy-making. Uh, surveillance, you know, it's the, it's the same Stasi. But uh, what's remarkable is not that the movie is, isn't as good as a book like this, but that the movie is an utter and total failure. Really? It's, yeah, this is a, a, a movie that um, Luke Harding uh, referred to with some kind of approval. It's a movie that I think won an Oscar foreign language Oscar or something like that came out in uh, I think 2006-ish the book by the way came out in 2003 and um, what's amazing about the movie is that it's just this total failure um, I uh, I don't know how to describe the total impotence of this movie it's a movie made in America. It's a German movie, and it's about Germans. It's about East Germans, obviously. And it's in German, with subtitles. And it is two hours of a movie that's trying to be deep, um, uh, candid, direct, um, uncompromising in a in its confrontation of um, reality or historical reality. Everything about the movie says these things, says that I am trying to be a movie that is deep and and uncompromising. And it's, it, the movie tries very hard to make an impact on the viewer, and it makes absolutely no impact. It's 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 a, a, a non experience. It was a non experience for me. It's almost like you know you you take a bite of food and you find out that you're biting on tissue paper. Pardon? The subject is. It's a, a, a very similar to the book, 
uh, the book treats many cases, but the movie treats one case. Mm-hmm. And it's a fictional case, whereas the book is real cases. Mm-hmm. But they're the same. It's the same. You recognize the same Stasi, the same technique. Mm. Um, it's just a bad movie. Well, but it's supposed to be—it's supposed to be a great movie. Many people call it a great movie, and the problem is that I read the book first, and the book is—you know—makes the movie look like caricature. Yes, almost a caricature, almost like a. And that's based on Luke Harding's. No, uh, the, the I got the movie from. You can get you can look at online for reviews of the movie and the reviews are uniformly good. Mm-hmm. And this is uh, amazing. But we are up against uh, you know probably people who are um, designated to write the reviews but who do not no. have the no. real understanding. No. No. If we compare the movie to average movies it's probably better than average movies, so it probably deserves uh-huh. good, rating, good ratings in movie land. Uh, but uh, it, it really... Excuse the... I feel very frustrated because we have only 10 minutes left and I want to talk about this for an hour. Carry on. Um, I don't know how I'm going to be able to say everything in just a few minutes. Oh, you don't uh, have to. You can extend it to the next call. No, it's it's getting late. I really can't. No, no, I mean the next call. Next, next week, you mean? Uh, yeah, sure, why not? But uh, the movie makes... The, the, uh, you know, I tried to think. I racked my brain for a little bit about why, why is this movie such a total failure? And how can I describe this failure? And the only thing I could come up with is a very funny little phrase that I just made up, which is that it has, it, it, it makes no traction with your gut. Mm. Uh, it doesn't engage your gut. You don't experience what's going on on the screen. Instead, what, 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 what goes on on the screen is it just passes through you. Um, and uh, and the movie is a is a decided was a, a kind of betrayal, a kind of cop out. In fact, I'm beginning to wonder if the movie may be some kind of um, intentional. Yes, that it may be, and this is really a bit paranoid or a bit. I, uh, I wouldn't be uh, surprised. Yeah, it's a bit cynical on my part. The paranoid is not the right well, word. Well, you know, I remember the Cold War era. When you had, I, I can't think of examples, but you had a lot of portrayals of, uh, it usually involved the Russians, but you had the portrayals of the personalities, events, which were from totally uh, skewed propagandist perspective, which, uh, you know, would raise hairs at the back of your neck if you were aware or, or a member of uh, of a society which understood the dynamics and the the uh, probabilities of situations like that. I've okay. seen movies like that. Yeah. And well, it, it is totally missing the point. 
it's misinforming and so on. And uh, as you said, ulterior motive uh, to um, alter people's opinion in a different directions, incorrect direction. Well, so in particular, what makes the ending of this movie outrageous, uh, uh, not so much the ending, but the the movie, the whole movie, is that the protagonist of the movie ultimately, uh, and therefore the the person that we actually I, are meant to identify with and meant even to sympathize with, it is in fact a Stasi, a, a Stasi agent. It's about a Stasi, uh, a Stasi agent who. Uh, who has qualms, who develops qualms about what's being done. Mm -hmm. And who, by the end of the movie, uh, turns out to be a kind of savior. And uh, I was offended by this because, uh, as you know, I, uh, I don't think these people are being punished uh, enough. The NSA, the FBI. Yeah. Yeah. What's really, what's greatly missing is is punishment. Yeah. Um, and here is a movie that has the goal to depict a Stasi agent with sympathy. Sympathy. Mm -hmm. And and this is one of the one of the other reasons why the book is uh, such a monumental read for me is because it vindicates, it confirms, I feel vindicated by this book because it goes to support my contention that the reason we have the, the Stasi states of America is because the East German Stasi were never punished. Yeah, one or two... Well, I one have or, a vacuum uh, as far as what happened in East Germany to the perpetrators there. I uh, don't have the information, the knowledge. Well, they they weren't they weren't all punished. One or two at the top were punished in a way that's far too light. Uh, but in in the mains, the Stasi today, and you can get this from the book, are still walking free and are even quite defiant. Huh. Yeah. So I was uh, then, of course, I went uh, wanted to learn something about Anna Funder, and I found her online. She's been interviewed on, and you can go on YouTube and see interviews of her. And she's, uh, won't surprise you after you read the book that she's a very engaging and thoughtful speaker because the book is just amazing to me. Mm -hmm. And one of the things she said is she referred to this movie and she made me feel uh, quite a bit better about my being upset in this way about the movie. Uh -huh. Because it because she said very simply, this movie, uh, The Lives of Others, uh, actually makes a Stasi agent into a, a, into a kind of moral agent, someone with, with a conscience. And she said to the interviewer, you should know that in the entire history of the Stasi, not a single person did anything like that. 
not a single Stasi agent had any kind of moral qualms about what they were doing to their victims. Yeah. And I was I was happy to hear that. Moreover, she said something that just um uh that um well I can yeah, I can mention it quickly. She she's she has also written a novel called uh, All That I Am and it and I haven't read it, but it's about uh uh, uh, resistors of the Nazi regime in 1933 to 1935 or something like that, mm-hmm. early 30s. And she, her novel, that's a real novel. That's made up, whereas this Stasiland is not made up. She made that up, but she based it on a lot of research. Uh, there are some characters in her book that are actually based on real people. Yeah. And she said that she actually made the characters less bad than they really were. She, her, her representation of the characters in the novel right. were, so, were softened were softened because she actually wanted the reader to identify a little bit. With that, that in fact, the real people, the real Nazis that the uh, characters were based on, committed far more brutal uh, acts than what are depicted in the book. Yeah, and then no qualms about committing them. Yeah. So we have one minute before the. Yeah. So we have one minute before the recording, and I'm feeling very frustrated because I uh, I want to go. I've marked parts of this book, and. Uh, well, I want if you want to, we can uh, resume tomorrow if you want. You know what? Let's just start a new recording, right now, and uh, we will try not to go to. Uh, too late? Does that work for you? Okay. Are you sure? Does that really work for you? Yeah, yeah. I won't have to do my walk. Oh, this is usually your walk. To, it's 9 o'clock on here. That's excuse not to do it, you see. <laughs> okay, let's start a new call. Let's hang up and start a new call right away. Okay. Uh, how much time should I give you? Oh, just two minutes. One minute. All right, talk in a minute. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.